All right. Well, good morning again. Good morning. Buenos dias. Uh, thank you. If you're visiting, I want to say, stop and say thank you. Because that, that merits a thank you. Because, you know, anytime you go to a new church and visit, it's a courageous thing to do. Especially when it's uh, a real loud and rowdy church like this one. Uh, let me explain that for a second. Jesus says he was forgiven much, loves much. So I hope you know you, but I sure do know me. And I know that the forgiveness I've received uh, merits a rowdy sort of love. So, uh, and I know this guy over here, it's the same deal. So, uh, Josh, I'm just messing with you, man. So, he's forgiven much, loves much. We're excited that you're here. And I know, here's the deal. Uh, a new thing is a big deal. And Jesus is wanting us to, to do a new thing in our hearts. And wanting us to be willing to receive that. Today here we, we're, in, we're in Jonah again. We're in week three of our Overboard series. The theme today is salvation is from the Lord. Now I'm going to invite you to just say that, preach that to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, salvation is from the Lord. Can I turn to your other neighbor and sing that? Yes! Thank you. Hey, thank you for uh, taking me literally. Some of, y'all, some of y'all are like, man, I don't know about this. That's okay. See, we, we cancel each other out. We're all a little bit self-conscious. So if we cancel each other out, you know, boom. The other guy's just as self-conscious as you are. So salvation is from the Lord. Now, we're going to see this very message rejected by a very prophet of God in Jonah chapter 1. He was supposed to take this message to people he hated and preach repentance to foreigners that he hated. And we saw last week he chose instead, when God told him, go and preach to these people, he went the opposite direction on a boat. And we're going to see how God, nonetheless, takes Jonah and allows him to be violently thrown overboard so that his message will sink in. The message that salvation... It's from the Lord, belongs to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me, please. Y'all are being real sweet today. I'm not going to ask you to sing again, okay? So put yourself at ease. We stand to our feet, our feet, that's what my kids say. Stand to our feet to honor God's word, because it stands above us. So it says here, chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. He turns literally from the face of the Lord. In verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, in the boat he was in, and there was a mighty tempest or storm on the sea. So this, the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled a great cargo. They jettisoned the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down fast asleep. Dude had narcolepsy or something. Verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God will give, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
And they said to him, tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? Where is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God, the God of the heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men, verse 10, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had, he had told them. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Then he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard and tried to get to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous, crazy, against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish because of this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Skip ahead to this next chapter, chapter 2, verse 9. There's a prayer he prayed inside this fish, fish that is really important as it relates to this story. Verse 9, in the middle of his prayer, he says, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. His heart is changed before the Lord. And he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord, or is from the Lord. In verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah upon dry land. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Lord, there's so much going on here. And yet, Lord, there's so much going on in all of our lives. Lord, it's a miracle for us to to really even have our eyes be opened to understand your word. It's a miracle to focus for 30 minutes in church. And Lord, we're asking for even more that you would help us to see the ways that that we, like Jonah, turn from your presence and help us to see the great mystery that he was able to see in the midst of all the crazy, all the storm, all the going down into the fish. He was able to see something very clearly that in the midst of all this, the storm of its raging that salvation comes from you. Help us to see what he saw as it relates to all the crazy storms we face today. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I read verse 9 is that if we understand more clearly the prayer he prayed and the assertion he made, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If we rightly understand that, we'll better understand everything else that happened before this. 
And when we, when we really, what, what we're going to do in the next few minutes that we have, we're actually going to dig deep into this. What does this mean when he says salvation belongs to the Lord? What does it mean in the Bible? What does it mean in my life and in yours? And then we're going to turn back and shed some light, knowing that, based on this whole incident of the boat and the fish and the whale and how he's thrown off and the, the sea stopped its raging. Salvation is from the Lord. Different theologians, academians, call this quote, salvation is from the Lord. They call it essentially the essential message trumpeted by the entire Old Testament. It's one of the most famous lines in the book of Jonah, and in fact, one of the most important things spoken in the entire Old Testament. Salvation is from the Lord. Well, if it's that important, it kind of merits us looking at, at what is meant when we say salvation. Now, as we get into this, I want you to know, as I dug deeper into this this week, it was a hard week for me in preparing this sermon. And it, it was an exceptionally difficult week for me. And here's one of the reasons why. This week, like tends to happen ever so often, God's word exposed a very specific part of my own sin, my own struggle to rely on the Lord as the rock of my salvation. And so going through things this week, it cost me a lot. And I hope that you will give of yourself to see and savor something that maybe you haven't seen yet. That salvation belongs to the Lord. In one minute, Jonah is fleeing from this, rejecting it. He's saying, salvation doesn't belong to the Lord. Salvation belongs to us, to my people. I'm not going to give it, this message away to other people. I reject God telling me to go there. I'm going here. And he's forced overboard, and by the mercy of God, forced to see that this message he holds so tight to, and that he thinks that he knows about, he knows nothing of. And he's brought to see that it's so much bigger than him. It belongs to the Lord. What would it take for us to go overboard, out of our comforts, out of what we're used to, out of what we think we know? The biggest thing that stands in the way of us coming to know something is often what we think we know. Salvation is from the Lord. This word salvation becomes a little bit more important when we know that this is one of the most important lines spoken in Jonah and the Old Testament. The word used here literally means salvation or deliverance or welfare or prosperity or victory. Now, knowing that, it's probably important for us to have some context. What is it that we need deliverance from? If we're going to talk about salvation, what is it that we need saving from? Why do we need a savior? We spoke last week that Jonah, when, when told by the Lord to go here, it's, it says he went in the opposite direction. It says specifically twice in verse 3 that he left the presence of the Lord. Literally, he turned from the very face of God. We said last week that we tend to do that all the time. We turn from the face of God in our own ways, in our own trusts, and we turn to trust in other things besides God. 
I would even say that instead of relying on the Lord and seeking his face for our deliverance, for our welfare, for our prosperity, for our salvation, we turn and instead we tend to place our trust in other functional saviors. I'll give you an example. I'll give you several examples. When, we tr- when we're to trust God for our welfare and our prosperity, but when we're really, in essence, worried about material things that we should have a, a certain concern for, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. We're supposed to have a concern. But with that concern, so often we place our trust in riches. So many warnings in the Bible about it. And yet, day in and day out, we, we tend to, t- to place our trust in, in the type of, of place we're living in. You know, I mean, it comes down to real simple things like the kind of car I drive, the kind of warranty I have in, on the car. Now, I'm, it's good to get warranties, and it's good to be smart about the places we live and how we invest our money. But ultimately, the slippery slope is not trusting ultimately that in all the decisions I make, God is the rock of my welfare and my prosperity. And only when you're tested with whether or not you trust this through difficulty and trial, often will you realize where your trust really is. Material things, even down to iPhones. So often we turn and we have a functional savior, a functional place where we place our trust in other things. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. How about the welfare of our relational health? How often do we take a, a, a concern that we were built to have? We, we, we have a need to relate to other human beings. And we can either do that well by, by being founded on the trust of the salvation, deliverance, and, and prosperity and welfare of our God. And thus, being whole in him, we relate well to one another. Or we can be reductionists, which is most often normal. We reduce the, the need for relating to other people as our essential need. And therefore, our functional savior often becomes that person who will fulfill me. That boyfriend that girlfriend, that spouse that will define me, that will love me in ways that really only often God can love me. We make functional saviors. We literally turn from the presence in the face of God in so many of the things that we do and instead find our trust in other things and create functional saviors. Even, even in the way that we, we trust God to provide for us, but often we relate to our boss as we're ultimately dependent on our boss. And therefore, we're limited in how we can love and sacrificially be generous to our boss because we see ourselves as really under his ultimate provision or her ultimate provision. And we're cut short on our ability to love generously because functionally, our salvation, our welfare, our prosperity is found there. But the Lord says, salvation belongs to me. Something in the midst of being thrown overboard that Jonah saw. Salvation is from the Lord. God forbid that we have to be literally thrown overboard to see it. Most often we do. 
Most fundamentally, whether it's the things that we put our, our, our faith in, the other things, occupational salvation, relational salvation, ultimately, it comes down to us giving ourselves the right to define where we place our trust. And, and in essence, I become my ultimate savior, my functional savior. I get to choose where I'm placing my trust. And you know what? We all do it, in essence, while sleeping. It says Jonah here was, was rebelling against the Lord even while he was sleeping. And we, in essence, subconsciously place our trust in other things. Now, when I say subconsciously, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we can't be hardy in our decisions. That we're not willful because we're very willful. We're very hardy and we make choices to turn away from the presence of God. And we sin by instead of choosing to place our trust in him for our salvation, our deliverance, our welfare, we place it in other things. And we place it in ourselves. I love what Paul Barker says. He, he talks about how, in, in essence, at the core, we all are sinners because we tend to place our trust in other things. And it, and it Really, our sin is displayed in a self-reliance that comes out in two different ways. Paul Barker, he says this. He says, we're all sinners. The real question is, which type of sinner am I? Essentially, there are two types of sinners. The rebellious sinner, one. And two, the religious sinner. The rebellious sinner seeks to save himself by rejecting God's law and creating his or her own rules. The religious sinner seeks to save him or herself by accepting God's law, but following it on his or her own strength. The rebellious sinner says, I can't, God, and I won't. The religious sinner says, I must, and I have to, essentially in my own strength. Here's what's lacking here. Instead of saying, I can or I can't, failing often in the test brought to us every day and the different things that we can rely on. We're we're failing the test and the ability to say, not I can or I can't, but God can. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation in this area where I'm tested to trust him relationally by material things, by my job, we want to follow the rules and place ourselves, we're our own functional savior by following the rules. And by the way, it never works out. I've tried it so many times. Or we, we try to find our own salvation by creating our own rules. Either way, we're trusting in ourselves. I struggled with this for years. I, I was, I've been both of these, the rebellious and the... Uh, the unredeemed religious sinner. In my past, I, I didn't consider God's law. I considered only, and, I, and I, I would admit it, I didn't know Jesus. I kind of grew up religious, but really, I mean, baseball and myself, those were my religions. You know, whatever made me happy. You know, I'd go to church sometimes, a Catholic church, to, to light candles to make myself feel better about the things that I was never intending to change, nor did I have the power to change. But I, I, was, I knew how dirty I was. I knew that I tried to rely on myself to make myself a better person, but I continued 
to use other people to get what I wanted. I continued to reject God's law, to, to be selfish. And all the while trying to compare myself to worse people to make myself feel better. But I knew I was rebelling against God. And when he came to me and showed me that, that there is a way to live that, that, can, that can be awarded to me by knowing Jesus, and I can have new power outside of myself, well, I had this, this new strength, this new ability to love God. And healing from my past. But here's what's, what I've struggled with about the last 18 years, 19 years. I often think that Jesus is someone I rely on to, to save me from my past, but not my Savior in my present and in my future. We were singing this song, I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. So often, I'll, I'll be honest, I live my life not saying I am desperate for you and I am lost without you. I live my life as if I was lost without him or I was desperate for him. But by his gospel, I was saved. And now through my own efforts, through my own routines, through my own strength, I'm going to better myself and grow in him. That's the lie that is so hard that, that I, I, I go and, and rely on myself in so many things. But you know what? The gospel is, is the gospel that saves us from our past, allows us to be free and be delivered and have welfare and prosperity in knowing him today and tomorrow. And Jesus is my savior today and yesterday and tomorrow. He always will be. Sometimes he just has to remind me of those things through difficulty. Even last night, I went to bed early. You know, I was preaching today. I wanted to go to bed early, and I have a routine. I, I, to go to sleep, I, I lay back with two pillows behind my head. I have a book in front of me. The TV's off. Everything's set up. This is my routine. This is how I go to sleep. And uh, I, I, I don't know what happened, but usually I, through my routine, I go to bed, and I go to sleep really well. And I was tossing and turning, and I couldn't go to sleep. And then, anyone ever been here where you're like, man, I, I'm a little nervous that I can't get to sleep, and it, that nervousness makes you not be able to go to sleep at all? Well, that was me. And so, 8.30 turned to 9.30, 9.30 turned to 11.30, and here it is, 12.45 p.m., and I'm so anxious. And I realized, wait a minute. One thing I never did is said, God, God help me go to sleep, please. At that moment, I remembered Psalm 127. He gives to his beloved rest. The same one who saved me from me, from hell, and going in the rebellious direction is the same one who saves me today, is my sustenance and my salvation and the, the source of my rest today. The thing is, is though, I often like to rely on myself and my routines and sometimes God has to keep me awake to bless me with the reminder that salvation is still from the Lord. We all need deliverance from the storms of our own self-sufficiency so often. Tim Keller helped me to see some things in 
Jonah has been really helpful to me. Jonah sees, goes overboard after the storm. The storm is, is abated and he is praying. Salvation is from the Lord. He's humbled. But you know, if you read the rest, and no, no too many spoilers here, but the rest of Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapters 3 and 4, dude's still a hot mess. He still needs Jesus. Jesus is still his savior in chapter 3 and 4, just like he was in chapter 1 and 2. How about you? What's, what causes us to not want to believe that and want to rely on our own strength? Salvation is, was, always will be from the Lord. Verse 9 I've already said what it means, but I want to actually share the actual word with you. When it says salvation is from the Lord, the the word salvation used, we can bring this slide up, literally is, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Yeshua, salvation, Yeshua is from the Lord. Here's what's important about this word. This word is also spoken about a thousand years later when an angel was talking to a young virgin. And this angel was telling her, you will bear a child that will redeem my people and will redeem the world. And you will call his name salvation. Yeshua. Transliterated in our language, Jesus. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is from the Lord. He is the one who was brought so that in the storms of our life, when we try to calm the raging of the storms and nothing from us can stop the raging of the storm, Jesus is salvation. Come from the Lord to appease. Now this is brought vividly true in the Bible where you see a scene so similar to the storm in Jonah 1. Let's go to Mark 4, and we see a picture of Jesus. He's in the boat with his disciples, and there's some things that are very eerily similar to Jonah 1. This is Mark 4, start with verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, them in the boat just as he was. The other boats were with him. And a great windstorm, you could say tempest, arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and told him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Tim Keller, I was mentioned earlier, sorry, he's a a pastor in New York. He helped me to see that really these two stories, Mark intentionally uses the same language to tell the story of what really happened at the sea of how similar, remarkably similar it is to Jonah 1. 
Let me just share with you some of the, the, the parallels. Both, both Jesus and Jonah were asleep in a boat. Both stories, this great overpowering windstorm arose, the storm. Uh, both boats were filled with people that feared, that were terrified of death. Kind of like the boat that we're in in our culture. Both groups angrily awoke the, pof- the prophet and said, what's the deal with you? Both storms supernaturally ceased. And the companions on the boat were rescued. And then the result was that in both boats, after the storm stopped its raging, the people in the boats were more terrified than when the, when the storm was raging. Now, what, what's the main difference of Jonah 1 and Mark 4? The main difference is, it would seem that in Jonah, Jonah is the one who is thrown out of the boat as a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God. And you're left wondering, what, why is it that it would seem that Jesus is not thrown out of the boat? And this just is going to show that indeed, if you keep reading on in Mark, keep reading on in the gospel, Jesus indeed was thrown into a greater storm. Tim Keller says, Jonah was thrown overboard for his own sin, but Jesus will be thrown into the ultimate storm because of our sin. Jesus was able to save the disciples from the smaller storm because he was later thrown into the ultimate storm. Salvation is from the Lord. Have you ever turned from trusting in yourself to placing your trust in the Lord from whom salvation comes? In the Lord Jesus who was hung on a cross so that the storm of the wrath of God could be satisfied. Not just the storm of how God was angry with Jonah, but the storm of sin that that is coming against all humanity. Jesus was hung on a cross as the perfect and final sacrifice for us. Have you ever turned from placing your trust ultimately in yourself to trusting ultimately in Jesus for your salvation, for your deliverance, for your welfare. Have you ever done that for the first time? If, if not today, even while we're praying, while we're dismissing, you can pray to God and say, God, I submit myself to you. And he knows you. He can see you. He can transform you in a simple prayer. That's how powerful he is. Now, to the rest of us, this is where I'm going to invite you to let God check on you painfully like he has with me. In what ways have you stopped trusting that? Think about the, the greatest concerns of your last week. In what ways have you stopped trusting that salvation belongs to the Lord? In what ways have you leaned on your own self-sufficiency and do you need God to rescue you from that? And you need to, to just say again to the Lord, I need you, God, help me. And in a place of need, he's here. Can you stand to your feet with me, please? He can meet you in a moment of need. Before we dismiss, I want to sing an old Methodist hymn. 
that declares our need before God. That if, I, if I'm strong or weak, I, I need him. And it's a submission to the God from whom salvation comes. And from, from whom salvation, to whom salvation belongs. I'm going to invite you to sing with me this hymn, I need thee every hour. Sing with me. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. Verse 2. I need Thee every hour. Stay Thou nearby. Stay Thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when Thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee, I need thee every hour, enjoy or pain, enjoy or pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. One more verse. I need thee every hour. Teach me thy will. Teach me thy will. And thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need thee. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. Lord, we're strongest when we're weak, when we're weak in You. We submit our strength and our weakness to You. Lord, show us this week that You are the rock of our salvation, especially, especially when it counts. May we trust in you and bear fruit for your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. One, one quick thing as we dismiss. Date night. If you haven't registered, uh, we're open one more day before the prices go up. Now, you can go. Any married couples in here? You, if, if you've struggled today with planning Valentine's and the date out, you can go from Valentine's fail to Valentine's win by just going to the website and signing up, okay?
Uh, we want to we be able to have fun and have a lot of, lot of joy shared together. It's going to be a great night, Friday night. Don't miss out. Married and engaged couples, all right? We're dismissed. Thank you.